Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. Roughness. You got to score points to win. You can't win without scoring points. Touchdown Raiders! He went right through the line and gives Vegas a touchdown to extend the lead. Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. Back in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio after a day out at the Oyo, the Underground Lounge inside the Oyo Hotel and Casino. I definitely appreciate everybody who came out and hung out with us and watched a couple different Monday Night Football games. A lot of good action on the screens. The Buffalo Bills, uh, they beat up on the Tennessee Titans. No shot at you, DeMond, at all. I would not do that. And then also the Philadelphia Eagles, led by Jalen Hurts, uh, handled their business against the Minnesota Vikings. And I'll tell you this, I don't know about you, but Jalen Hurts looks like he's a whole different dude. He looks like a much improved quarterback and I mean hey one addition to AJ Brown and all of a sudden dude's a different guy and I'm assuming that one Derek Carr is going to look like that as well just uh getting into that well-oiled machine that is uh led by Josh McDaniels obviously the offense for the silver and black welcome into unnecessary roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920 and I'll tell you right now Got a big-time show lined up for you today. Very excited by the guests that we have coming up on the show. Of course, Raider Nation, we want to hear from you. Spent really a lot of the time yesterday on the show letting you sound off and let you get that that terrible taste out your mouth about what happened on Sunday. Now it's time to start to, you know, start to turn the corner. Tomorrow will completely turn the page and start focusing on the Tennessee Titans, who, oh, by the way, are 0-2 on the season. Raiders, 0-2 on the season. Something's got to give come Sunday. So we'll completely turn the page on Wednesday, but I got a lot to get to on today's show. We'll get some good guests on the show that might have a little bit more explanation of what they believe happened on Sunday as the Raiders dropped to 0-2 and only put up three points in the second half. And whether you want to play the uh, blame the offense, blame the defense, blame the coaching, doesn't matter. The team took an L on Sunday and are 0-2 right now. And they've got to figure some things out because pretty soon, and I'm not talking about here, because we're not the speculation crew. We're not the speculation radio station. We're not the the whisperers. We're not the ones that are going to put out rumors. You know, we're not the, the I don't want to say bleacher reports because that's what they used to be known for. They're not really anymore. But there's certain outlets, you know, that just kind of stir some S up. We're not the ones that are trying to stir some S up. We'll talk about what needs to be talked about, but we're not here to stir it up. But pretty soon, if the Raiders don't get things turned around and getting things going, you're going to start hearing people stirring it up and saying things and talk about players that may not be there and coaches. And I saw something silly on Twitter on uh, on Sunday, and this is just a perfect example. Like, head coach Josh McDaniels is on the hot seat. And I was like, it's two games, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like, it's, you, you want to talk about overreaction. I get it. There's a lot of overreactions, but uh, I think that that's the furthest thing from the truth. So uh, you're not going to hear those kind of rumors here. But my point is, if they don't get things turned around quick, fast, and in a hurry, Demond, you'll start to hear Stuff like that, and it'll start to get louder and louder. And not that, again, the outside noise matters, but you'll hear the outside noise. And I don't know about you, but it's kind of annoying to hear. And I'm sure the players and coaches don't want to hear it either. Yeah, the hot seat after two games. Was that like an? <laughs> is that from anyone credible? At least, there or was, just a couple of fans. It was, it was that a are few. Angry. It was a few, and it got the ball rolling. You know how the snowball goes, right? I mean, once it goes, it, it's just like that little. It, it's small. It's small. It's like a pebble turns into a rock. A rock turns into a ball. A ball turns in. You know what I mean? Like it's just. Yes. It just continues to grow. It's just. It is what it is. But again, not here to 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 light the fire on the rumor mill. Any of that BS. Just here to to talk about what we got to talk about. Exactly. And then today, because when you listen to the coordinators, because then they speak on Tuesday, and obviously they're going to be asked a little bit about Sunday's game, 
It's already past them. Right. It's it has past to be. Them. It has to be. Like we can we can dwell on it a little bit longer, but they have absolutely have got to move on from it. And every player to a T in the locker room following the game said, Hey, we can, you know, feel sorry for ourselves for the next twenty four hours, come back, watch the film, and then move on. Well, that's when we talked to Bryce Butler. That's what he said. Hey, you know, watch the film, whatever day the film study day is, and boom, you gotta move on. Adam Hill asked Patrick Graham a really good question. He's like, oh, that second, that, that two-point conversion where it took like seven minutes, that's the joke that he made. Right. And Patrick Graham says, I just hope that he, I just, if you could like do something differently, not have him get make the two-point conversion. <laughs> and he answered the question a little bit more in detail. Right, like he didn't right. want to just be a jerk yeah. and just leave it at that. But yeah, what did you think he's about very, that play? He's very dry like that anyway, though. That's kind of his personality where, and maybe dry is not the right word, but he's very, you know, I, I can't remember. I said something about the defense, you know, what would be a successful defense or, you know, and he said something like winning. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, just, you know, but but he, he doesn't mean it in a disrespectful way. It's just like, look, I'm very basic. It's about dubs and L's. Yeah, so what, what could you take back on some of those plays? Well, this is right. my point about it's by, it's behind them. Right. How would you ch- What would you do to change that play? He doesn't score on the play? Boom. <laughs> Right. And move on. Exactly, exactly. So that that's uh, that's some of the conversation, obviously, that we'll have coming up on today's show. But I do want to let you know about the guests that we have coming up on today's show because we do have a lot of guests. And I actually lost my copy. I'm up here looking for – I'm up here trying to scramble and look for my, my copy of the book in, uh, in, in my hand because I have uh, Jason Reed from ESPN. He, uh, he wrote a really good book about the uh, evolution and the rise of the black quarterback, and I wanted to look at the book to give you a little bit of a preview of it, but I guess I left it in the office, which is no big deal. I can go grab it in a minute. But Jason Reed's going to join us in about five minutes to talk about the book. It's a fantastic book that he wrote. Uh, we got a copy of it probably about a week ago, but I didn't want to start giving these books out until we actually got a chance to talk to Jason. So we're g- he's going to join the show in about five minutes to talk about the rise of the black quarterback and a very intriguing book. I mean, I, I really do encourage a lot of people to go out there and check it out uh, because obviously the black quarterback has not been the black quarterback forever, right? And been frowned upon for a long time as well. Now you're starting to see players like the Kyler Murrays. You're starting to see the Patrick Mahomes. You're starting to see the Lamar Jacksons. You're starting to see, you know, guys that are, are, are men of color that are playing that quarterback position and are more respected than they were back in the day. So uh, Jason Reed is going to join us in a few minutes to talk about that book. At 2.30, Amber Thea Harris, Sirius XM NFL Raider and uh, Radio and also Raiders TV will join the show to talk all things silver and black and what she saw from the game on Sunday. And as the Raiders sit there at 0-2, kind of give us her thoughts on what she's hearing. She works really well with uh, James Jones as well, former Raider wide receiver, former Packer wide receiver. And so I know he's had a lot to say about the Raiders start, the 0-2 start. So we'll talk to Amber coming up at 2.30. 3 o'clock, John McClain from GalleriesSports.com and Sports Radio 610 there in Houston. He'll join just to talk all things NFL. So there's a lot of storylines to get to. And I'll ask him about Jalen Hurts because I do believe that Jalen Hurts looks like uh, he's really matured. I don't know what he did in the offseason, and I, I always liked him. I liked him coming out of Alabama and, and Oklahoma when he was drafted. But I thought, okay, maybe the Eagles put him into the mix a little bit sooner than he needed to. Through two games so far, in my opinion, he looks pretty stinking good, man. He looks like a well-oiled machine. I'll tell you one thing that was the biggest help for the offseason, A.J. Brown. Well, yeah, obviously. Yeah, just like and, – and that's why I used that comparison earlier when I was talking about Devontae Adams. That's the biggest acquisition you can get. Well, Jalen Hurts getting A.J. Brown is huge, you know, because they already have weapons. They already had uh, the former Heisman winner, Devontae Smith, uh, as their wide receiver, right, former Alabama uh, wide receiver. Now he's there, and they have, they have weapons on that squad, and A.J. Brown is just he's, – he's their version of Devontae Adams. Is he Devontae Adams? No, not at all. Not going to try to put him in that same category. But 
he's their big-time playmaker. So that, absolutely, you're right. That's a big-time help. So uh, we'll talk to John, all things NFL, coming up at 3, 4 o'clock. Lincoln Kennedy from the Raiders Radio Network. He'll join the show. He does it every single Tuesday and Thursday at 4 o'clock. He'll join us to talk about what he saw uh, throughout the course of the game as well. So that's coming up at 4. And then 4.30, the Tom Flores High School Football Coach of the Week Award goes to Coach Chris Morelli from Boulder City High School. He'll join the show again 4.30 to talk about his team picking up a big dub and him getting the award for the uh, – for the, again, the Tom Flores High School Football Coach of the Week Award. And right now, joining us on the phone lines. Well, before he joins us, let's go ahead and jump into the opening drive. The opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920 is brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. Now that we got the bills paid, you got to go out to the phone lines and bring in our first guest of the day, and that's Jason Reed from ESPN. And Jason, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. And before we even get into the book, The Rise of the Black Quarterback that I have on my desk right now, I'm excited to, to really deep dive into it. I wanted to pass along a message as I realized that we have a, a, a common factor, a common friend between the two of us, and that's Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. He said he is you're his mentor, and you kind of showed him the ropes uh, back in the L.A. Times back in the day. Well, listen, my man, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, I am not Paul Gutierrez's mentor, okay? And Paul Gutierrez is a bad guy, and I'm saying that on the air. <laughs> and the next time I see him, we're going to have a major issue. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> he was excited and pumped up knowing that you were coming on the show today. So I thought I'd pass that message along. But, uh, Jason, it, it re- really, man, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Uh, the book, Rise of the Black Quarterback, uh, I, I just find it so intriguing. I remember when it was talked about that it was coming out, and I know that the show on on uh, Anscape was was out at first, and then it kind of led to the the book. I got fired up and pumped up about it because man, the evolution has been massive. How, how have you seen the, the the black quarterback position grow in your time covering the NFL? Oh wow, you know I've been covering the league since two thousand and seven, and it really has been a a journey that's you know, more than a hundred years in the making. Right. You know we we, we remember that. After black players were allowed back into the NFL, you know, there was a 12-year ban that ended with the 1945 season. And after they were allowed black back into the league, still black players were prohibited from playing certain positions, the so-called thinking man's position, you know, uh, center along the offensive line because centers had to be smart and make the adjustments, help with the adjustment calls. Middle linebacker on defense, which is the quarterback of the defense, and safety on defense because you're the quarterback of the secondary, you know, as a safety. And so black players couldn't, were, were prohibited from playing the up the middle thinking man's position. And what's the ultimate thinking man's position? Well, quarterback, obviously. Right. So, you know, when you look at this evolution from the time I've been covering the game, even in the 2007 season when I started covering the NFL, but when you look at the whole course of this league's existence, it has really been this incredible journey and a sea change that has occurred really over the last, 20 to 25 years. And it's incredible. It really is. And you talk about the thinking man's position and how, you know, guys weren't allowed to play those certain positions. How how were they able to knock down that door? And I know it's not completely knocked all the way down because there's still a lot of criticism, even about guys like Lamar Jackson that we see who are former league MVPs to this day. But how has that door started to become, you know, get knocked down a little bit? Well, listen, there were guys who were pioneers, like Mar- the late Marlon Briscoe, mm-hmm. um, and I, I appreciate Marlon so much. He was the first black, black starting quarterback of the modern era in major professional football in the United States when he broke in with the Denver Broncos, who were in the old AFL, 
And Marlon gave me a lot of time for the book, and I really appreciate him so much. He just recently left us. Uh, Doug Williams, obviously the first black quarterback to start in the Super Bowl and win the game's MVP award. Warren Moon, the first, the only black quarterback enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And Randall Cunningham, the ultimate weapon in Philadelphia, uh, a guy who is this dual threat, incredible athlete that the NFL had never seen his likes before. But what really changed this whole thing is as the money got so big in the NFL, executives, you know, general managers, player personnel executives, head coaches, they could no longer turn their backs on the most imp- players, the most important position, simply because they're black. Because it really became a matter of self-preservation. If you passed on this quarterback who could help you win, and all of a sudden, you know, your quarterback is, is helping you lose, you are going to lose your job. So really, the change occurred because the, the color green finally trumped the color black. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. Again, we're talking with Jason Reed from ESPN, talking about his book that he has out right now, The Rise of the Black Quarterback. We'll actually be giving out a couple copies after we finish talking to Jason. And, you know, you mentioned Warren Moon, and he's enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. His story is incredible. But how 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 much, you know, did it help the fact that he just wasn't going to change positions? He wasn't going to be that guy that decided, okay, I want to play so bad that I will go play wide receiver, even though I've never done that. But I, I'll just, I'm going to stick to my guns. And even if I have to go somewhere else, as he did, to play, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, Warren, you can't tell this story without talking about Warren's individual story. There's no doubt about it. Warren making that stand. I mean, here, here's a guy who's the co, what is now the Pacific 12 Conference, the co-player of the year. He, he leads Washington, the University of Washington, to a Rose Bowl victory. And he doesn't get drafted. Mm-hmm. That would never happen today to a quarterback out of a major conference who did what Warren Moon did. But, you know, Warren, he, he went to Canada. He, he thrived in Canada. He, the Houston Oilers get him in a, in a free agent, you know, uh, free agent frenzy bid. They're the ones that get him. And after a, a tough transition period for one year, he comes down to the NFL, lights it up as a perennial pro bowler, and becomes the only quarterback as of now in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But a real quick story about Warren. You know, the Dallas Cowboys were like all the other teams in the 1978 NFL draft, and they passed on Warren. And one of their scouts, and this is a story in the book, it's one of my favorites, told Tom Landry and, and all the people who were running you know, America's team at that time, that, hey, this Warren Moon guy is the guy. And the question, and what was said in the draft room or in their pre-draft meeting was, well, did you talk to him about changing positions? Because in 1978, black men, at least not in great numbers, were being drafted at all to play quarterback in the NFL. That's crazy. That's crazy. And, and and the good thing is he didn't do it, right? He didn't change positions. He uh he said that he was going to play quarterback. That's what he did. And, you know, fast forward to modern day, that's what Lamar Jackson did. You know, when it was suggested that he go play a wide receiver, he said, I'm a quarterback. All he does is turn that into a, a league MVP, and now he's in this situation with the contract. And, Jason, let me ask you about the contract situation. What do you make of Lamar Jackson's uh, contract situation? Because, it, to me, it feels like it should be a no-brainer that should already be done. Well, in, in many ways, it does feel like a no-brainer. But the issue is, I, I think one of the issues in Baltimore is that the Ravens are a very well-run organization in terms of setting prices for players and not going outside of that. I mean, you look at a guy like Orlando Brown, the, you know, the, the great tackle that they had. You know, they could not come to a price point with him, and so they traded him to the Chiefs. And quarterback clearly is even you know, much different than, than a tackle position. But I just think that the Ravens have a number, and – what, what happened was that the Deshaun Watson contract situation with Cleveland, 
cause the Ravens number to not be what Lamar Jackson wants as the number now. Right. And, you know, when you're looking at it, look, Lamar has more credentials by his name than Deshaun has by his, but the Browns were in a situation. They really wanted to get him, so they did what they had to do, and the market is affected by that. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. As everybody knows, Lamar is playing without a contract extension right now. It's a very risky thing. But he's betting on himself, and we're going to see what happens. Talking right now with Jason Reed from ESPN. You can find him on Twitter at JReedESPN, talking about his book, The Rise of the Black Quarterback. My man, DeMond's got one for you. To move on from one MVP to another, in 2003, Steve McNair was the first black quarterback to win the MVP award. I know he had to share it with Peyton Manning as they were co-MVPs, but what did that mean for the position of black quarterbacks to see the first one get the MVP of the league? Well, you know, any step along the timeline is significant. And, you know, you're talking about a league that started in 1920 and a black man did not win the a black quarterback did not win the award or share the award or win it outright uh, until, you know, all the way at that point when uh, Steve shared it with Peyton Manning. And then we, you know, fast forward to when Cam Newton won it. And now you have Patrick Mahomes who has won it and Lamar Jackson who has won it. And you're going to see this happen more and more. So, but to, to your specific question, it was clearly significant because what it shows is that not only can black quarterbacks play in the league, but they can excel and win at the highest level with the highest award. Doug Williams showed they could do it winning the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson also won a Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes won a Super Bowl. But that MVP award definitely is significant. Talking again with Jason Reed here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. So you mentioned, you know, talking and, and getting some stories and getting some intel and information as you're putting this book together. Was there one story or one person that you talked to that really stood out, that really helped push you in, in writing this book? Well, I, you know, there were so many. I, I would say James, James Harris, the great pioneering quarterback from uh, Grambling University, you know, Grambling, a, mm-hmm. a powerful HBCU uh, Doug Williams also went to Grambling. Doug Williams is basically James Harris's little brother. Um, talking to James Harris about what he went through to become the first week, first black quarterback to start in week one when he did it with the Buffalo Bills back in 1969 and the hate mail he received and the things he had to overcome uh, very, you know, definitely affected me. Um, you know, obviously, I knew about the racism these guys right. experienced, but until you, until you, actually hear the anecdotes and hear the details it really doesn't hit home until then now I, I can only imagine like i said can't wait to really get to to do a deep dive on the book i received it i believe last week so i was excited matter of fact i tweeted as soon as i got it on my desk i was like man here it is let's go about to deep dive into it so uh excited about that and of course jason we're going to give out a few copies of it you know um the the quarterback position now the way you're looking at it and, and we saw a perfect example last night of jalen hurts and I, I was just talking about how i feel like he's really matured from what he was when he left college to where he is right now I feel like a lot of teams are going to be looking for that guy that can do that dual threat be that Jalen Hurts be that Lamar Jackson but some are still a little hesitant because they just they get scared of the running element and the quarterback to get injured what are your thoughts on that well listen I mean we are now in the era of the black quarterback Mm -hmm. and by, by that what I mean is it would not be surprising at all if in another five to eight years you see 12 to 16 superstar black quarterbacks in this league and I say that because you look at the traditional college powerhouses, the Alabamas, the USC, the Ohio State, all led by superstar black quarterbacks. You know, when, when, my, when my mentor, Paul Gutierrez, <laughs> was uh, teaching me the ropes at, at the old L.A. Times, you know, I co- we, we both covered high schools. We covered recruiting. And you would go to these all-star camps where these five- and four-star 
quarterbacks are never a black face around. Now you go to these things, mm-hmm. there are black elite quarterback recruits all over the place. And also from the, from the youth football level, right. the pipeline, youth football, to high schools, to colleges, to pros. I, I don't think that that's no longer. Let me tell you something Doug Williams told me. He said, gone are the days when in any NFL draft room or you know, NFL war room, so to speak, will anyone ever say, well, we're not going to take this elite quarterback because he's black. Right. That stuff is out the window now. It just it, it doesn't apply. No, you're right. And and that's a good thing. That's a great thing, as a matter of fact. And I'm glad you brought up high school and colleges because when I was in Texas, I was covering the Big 12, covering high school football. Obviously, you know, high school football in Texas is king. And there were so many times that I'd hear stories of a high school football quarterback that all of a sudden got to college or got to the school. He was on a recruiting trip and they said, hey, we're going to make you a DB. We're going to make you a wide receiver. And it happened to RG3, as a matter of fact. That's why he ended up at Baylor instead of UT. They wanted to make him a, a, a DB. How many stories did you hear like that? Oh, my goodness. I mean, it, it, it's, there's just so many of them. I mean, you talk about the high school level of college, there's just a ton of them. And, you know, in research in the book, I probably did between 70 and 75 interviews. And, and you know, so many guys just talked to me about the fact that, hey, look, this is something that, you know, they experienced. Um, you know, that, that, that's part of the history of this. And that's what makes it also so sad. You mentioned that we're in the era of the black quarterback, but when are we going to get to the era of the black coach? Your most recent piece on Anscape, it speaks to why Eric B. Enemy. It's about time that he's gotten a head coaching job now as the Chiefs are 2-0 and they're still looking crisp as ever on the offensive end. When do you think we're going to see that rise in the black coach in the NFL? Well, that's the next frontier. You know, the, the frontier for so long for black players in the NFL was quarterback. Um, and that frontier has been tackled, it's been tamed. The next frontier is coaching. The next frontier is, is the executive levels. And I think what we're seeing right now with the internal push from among people in the league who believe that diversity and inclusion is a good thing and civil rights groups on the outside and people who are advocates for inclusive hiring on the outside, those two forces internally and externally have to just keep pushing because the reality of it is there are many qualified black coaches who can do a great job as head coaches. Well, it's a lot of good stuff. I'm excited, as I mentioned, by the book. We're about to give out a copy right now. It's The Rise of the Black Quarterback. Uh, Jason Reed is the author at J. Reed ESPN on uh, Twitter. And uh, you can get your copy right now. And, Jason, we, we definitely appreciate you. Uh, we could spend plenty of time talking with you, but I wanted to get a few minutes just to kind of preview some of the highlights of the book before we give it out. And, like I said, great job, and we appreciate you this afternoon. Hey, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for having me. And don't ever believe Paul Gutierrez. Don't do that. (laughs) I got you. I got you. I appreciate you, Jason. (laughs) There he goes. Jason Reed from ESPN. Apparently, I can't believe Paul. I can't trust Paul. No, Paul's a good dude, and Jason is as well. So let's do it. You heard it. I said I was going to give out a copy right now. We got multiple copies here at the station, but let's give out one right now, man. Call number nine, Rise of the Black Quarterback, written by Jason Reed. You just heard him right there from ESPN, at J. Reed, ESPN on Twitter. Call number nine, 702 365-9200. You want your copy? I got it for you. It's Rare Nation Radio, 920. That was the opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. Yeah, Derek plays quarterback and he runs our offense, you know, on the field. So he's running our offense and whatever the game plan is for that specific game Sunday, he's going to try and do that. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Many thanks to Jason Reed from ESPN. Joined us in the last segment, Thought, kind of started things off with us for the opening drive here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920, talking about his book, Rise of the Black Quarterback. I got plenty of those on the way. 
I have plenty of those on the way. Excited about uh, giving out more copies of that. Uh, didn't know how much uh, feedback we were going to get, how much you know, how many people were going to call in and, and want copies of the book. But all the text messages and all the tweets that I'm getting about the book, uh, it makes me excited. It makes me uh, pretty pumped up. So uh, Jason Reed's book, Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America. We uh, we have more copies of that on the way. And many thanks to uh, for Jason and uh, ESPN as well for hooking that up. Still on the way, coming up in a matter of seconds, we have Amber Theo Harris from uh, Sirius XM NFL Radio and also Raiders TV. She's going to join us to talk all things uh, Raider football and what she's been seeing the past couple of games with the silver and black as they've dropped and a uh, matter of fact amber joins us now on the phone lines and amber thank you so much for your time this afternoon and obviously the raiders and raider nation has not gotten off to the start that they wanted to see with a 0-2 start but uh the sky is not falling but what have you seen so far through the first two weeks of the season for the raiders what do you think is the biggest issue that they face so far well, thanks for having me. It's good to be back with you, Q. <laughs> I see you in the press box, but yes. I haven't been on your show in a minute. So it's good to be underway and have the season underway. I know everybody's uh, a little worried about the 0-2 start. But just from 30,000 feet, okay, no need to panic. I've covered very bad teams in the NFL. <laughs> I've been doing this a long time. There is nothing about what I see from the Raiders uh, that says they are a bad team or they aren't good enough or they can't hang. In fact, I see the opposite. I see a lot of positive. I think it's a matter of putting it all together and playing two halves. And it's really that simple. I know that Coach McDaniels, you know, talked about, uh, you know, you kind of can't sit around and wait for the game to be over when you're up by 20 points Mm -hmm. at the half. Uh, You can't just kind of run out the clock and hope it. You've got to keep competing. So I think that was a lesson learned from week two that we'll see a big difference. Um, the the positives that I see, obviously, Devontae Adams. I, I, I just I just had a meeting with uh, the Silver and Black Productions people, and, and I said, look, two, yard, two catches for 12 yards from Devontae Adams. That should never be written under Devontae Adams' name ever again. Like, that line cannot be that. So whatever they have to do, we saw in week one what Devontae Adams can do. I know they were trying to you know, establish that there's other receivers and spread the ball out and Hunter Renfro and all of that, they need to go to Devontae Adams. And, you know, that's, that's going to be their bread and butter. And especially against the Titans defense that we saw last night, we saw Stefan Diggs, you know, just get after. Yep. So that downfield, and so it's not just the intermediate throws with Devontae that works so well. I mean, take those shots early because that secondary is already shook from what Stefan Diggs just did to them. So, um, that was one observation is, is Devontae is such a positive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to come down to consistently stopping the run. We saw the Raiders do a good job in week one, only gave up 85 yards rushing on the ground. Then in week two, I know Kyla Murray is a totally different story, mm-hmm. but you know they couldn't stop him, especially on the perimeter. They couldn't. He was running to the outside. They couldn't contain him. But don't sleep on the fact that in the second half, um, the Cardinals ran the ball, even when James Conner was hurt. You know, Benjamin and Daryl Williams came in and ran the ball, and the defense wasn't able to really stop the run. And so I think that is going to be, you know, a key, of course, when Derrick Henry, I don't care how slow of a start Derrick Henry has, he's still Derrick Henry, and he can pop off for a 100-yard game at any moment. So to me, that's the only way that the Titans are going to be able to beat uh, the, the Raiders is by if Derrick Henry pops off and all of a sudden comes to life and is a Derrick Henry we know. 
So I, I think that'll be the key for this matchup. Talking right now with Amber Thea Harris here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. Let's go back to Devontae Adams real quick because you said a lot of stuff that I agree with 100%. Two catches, 12 yards, it just can't happen. But what do you think that fine line is between feeding him the rock and not just forcing it to him and giving it to him too much as a lot of people thought happened week one? Yeah, and I think that is a fine line, and Josh McDaniels is going to have to, to figure that out, like what the balance is. But I think if you stun especially a team like the Titans whose secondary isn't their strength. If you stun them early um, and you take the shots early, um, look, Devontae Williams, I would think, uh, excuse me, Devontae Adams, think about um, the first game against the Chargers. He, the, the one interception that Derek, uh, that Derek Carr threw, Devontae Adams had, the, had double coverage beat. Right. Devontae Samuel, and I forget who else it was. He had to step back into coverage to try to catch that ball because Derek underthrew him. So it's not a matter of you can't throw to him in double coverage. Like, he had them beat. That was a timing issue that I think was a week one issue that nine times out of ten, that's a touchdown, you know, especially as they get a rhythm here. So I don't, I don't think – I get that spreading the ball out, you, you make it so that you have to account for other receivers and, and you can't roll a safety over and things like that to Devontae Adams. Um, but it, look, last year, I mean, 11 targets a game with Aaron Rodgers, Aaron would throw it right into double coverage. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, they, and he caught it. You yep. know, so I get why you want to spread it out, and I get that philosophy, but I, I still think you just feed Devontae, um, and the the other stuff will come, you know. I don't know what's going on with, with Hunter Renfro, and, but Darren Waller, you know, he will get his, he will get his catches, Um I don't think you become too predictable by going to Devontae because it doesn't matter if you know, if I'm a defense and I'm Mike Grable and I know that the ball is going to Devontae, it's another thing to try to stop him. Right, exactly. You can know it all day, but it, but it's just stopping him. And that's why he's an alpha dog. That's why he's the elite wide receiver that the Raiders went out there and got again. Amber Theo Harris is our guest here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary roughness. I want to ask you about getting in sync with everyone, you know, because we didn't see the starters play in the preseason. And, and look, a lot of teams across the league didn't have their starters play. And a lot of teams across the league are 2-0. Or there's teams that are looking like they're clicking on all cylinders. For this group in particular, how long do you think it's going to take before they all get on the same page? Well, I think the good news was they were on the same page in the first half. Right. That's, that's the team we expected to see. <laughs> and if you asked us in the first half, everybody that's following the Raiders would have said, oh, they got that first one out of the way. Forget about that whole preseason narrative that they should have been out on the field and they got a new receiver and they need to be in sync. We would have been like, oh, good. Um, so the capability's there. The sync is there. There's something in the energy level and the ability to come out in the second half and play to win rather than play to maintain a lead. And I think that's the big difference. It's not sync, um, especially with the offense. We've, we've seen the offense clicking. Yeah. It, it's, it's not like something we haven't seen yet. It's just a matter of doing it consistently. And so you have to think as the weeks go on, especially here in week three, against a team like the Titans, no disrespect to the Titans, they haven't played good. Uh, they didn't look good yesterday, no. um, that this is an opportunity to continue what we saw more of in the first half and kind of learn that lesson from the second half. Of, you can't take your, your foot off the pedal. you gotta, you got to just floor it all the way to the end of the game. Something that the Raiders were doing in the first half that they kind of moved away from in the second half was running the ball. With Josh Jacobs in the locker room after the game, he, 
He didn't say anything. You know, he can say a lot without saying much at all. He said that, hey, that's above me of why the team didn't continue to run the ball in the second half. But do you think that maybe just extending a couple of more drives in that game with running the ball, eating up a little bit more clock, is just that one or two things that maybe would have decided the game for the Raiders? Absolutely. Think about it. If Josh Jacobs was on the field for five seconds more and had kept an offensive drive going for five seconds more than Kyler Murray or two seconds, wouldn't have had that final play. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. <laughs> so you, you think about it as simple math at that point. So if you can extend, when you have somebody that's running the way Josh is running right now, I mean, look, I'm not an expert at anything, but <laughs> I know what I see with my eyes. <laughs> and that man is in a groove. And that man is healthy, and when he's healthy, he's one of the most explosive backs in the league. And so why aren't you feeding him more often, especially in the second half mm-hmm. with a lead? With a lead. Yep. That's when you're running the ball. So if, he could, if they could have just extended the drive, you know, the drive in the second half a little longer, then you don't put it on the defense where they have to be out there for a half an hour. I know that's the defense's fault, too. They should get off the field. They didn't. Right. But it, those little tiny things can make the difference, especially when the game comes down to the final second. They always say it's a handful of plays in every game that's going to determine who wins or loses, right? And, and there's that was a handful of plays right there. And you're, you're right. I mean, Josh Jacobs is on the field five more seconds. He's running the ball five more seconds. The game, we're talking about a, a one-on-one team and not an 0-2 team. And Amber, you know, Coach McDaniel said something on Monday about the players learning how to win games and how to finish off games. And we had someone call in and say, Q, I think – Coach McDaniels as well, because he's been offensive coordinator, now he's a head coach. He's still kind of learning how to win games and finish games. Do you get that sense, too, or do you think that since he spent all that time in New England, it should already be there? Yeah, I don't know if I would agree with the caller with all due respect to that opinion. I could see how someone would think that. But this is a man that has won consistently and consistently for many years and in many different ways and in many different situations where it wasn't on the defense. It was on Josh McDaniels' offense to come through. Right. Um, and yes, he did have the greatest of all time executing his plan, which helps. But I don't think it's a matter of not knowing how to win games. I think it's also a matter of, of learning how to be a head coach. So in those moments where he had to win games with the Patriots, he had to win with his mind and his play calling, right? He didn't have to win with his messaging, with his, with his adjustments of how he speaks to the team at the half, um, how he speaks to his coordinators, all of these things are, are part of being a head coach that's new to him. So I think learning how to win uh, in this role is, is very different than just learning how to win. He's very much a guy that's been around a, a winning culture and is bringing that with him. So, look, I think it is little thing. We're going to see him learning as well. And it is little things like I think that was messaging at the half, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I think they, they, whatever he said, they came out thinking, like, we got this. We just need to maintain. And now I think that message is going to be different if they have a 20-point lead. It's going to be like, no, we're still attacking. Right. To turn the page a little bit, I know that the Titans coming up, you probably haven't done too much like film study on them or anything like that. But both teams are 0-2, as you said earlier. Do you think that this game is going to have a little bit more meaning for each team, That just that desperation of both teams needing a win? Because we all know the stats. They've been being thrown out all day now about, hey, a team that's gone 0-3 or however many percentage points to make the playoffs. So do you expect this game to have a little bit more extra oomph from both teams? Yeah, I expect it to be a dogfight because I know Mike Vrabel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mike Vrabel's gritty. He is gritty. I've, I covered him as a player. 
Uh, he's just grimy. He's gritty. We've seen all of his teams that he has coached in his short coaching career personify that. They they kind of personify the head coach. They take they they perform like that when the the chips are stacked against them, when the odds are stacked against them. So even though I saw a bad looking football team yesterday against probably the best team in the AFC right now, I have to keep that into perspective. Mm-hmm. I don't count out. Mike Vrabel as a head coach, and we'll have them in their dogfighting. He will have them dogfighting. And, and the Raiders have that capability, right? They've got that grittiness, too. So I think it's going to be messy. I think it might be a lot of penalties. It's going to be a dogfight because, yeah, you can't come out of this 0-3, and the, the Raiders definitely cannot come out 0-3 being a part of the AFC West. I know it's on the road. I know it's hard to win on the road no matter where you are in the NFL. But Tennessee's not notoriously one of those most difficult places to play, like Pittsburgh, or Baltimore, or Seattle, uh, those kind of places. So I think this is an opportunity. Um, I think they're a better team. The Raiders are the better team. But they ought to be careful not to be dragged into a dogfight, you know, and, and lose yeah. that way. No, no, you're right. And 0-3 uh, and losing two games to AFC opponents is, is all bad in the AFC. And especially, like you said, the loaded AFC West as well. And then, of course, they have Denver and the Chiefs before they hit the bye week. So uh, it can get ugly quick, fast, and in a hurry if they don't get things turned around. Let me ask you this, and, and we'll let you go. Uh, Max Crosby got the contract extension through the offseason, and he's looked every bit the part. He's looked fantastic. Chandler Jones is off to a slow start. Any concern there? Or do you think he's a veteran? He'll get things turned around. Look, I, I like to see the positive. Um, I've watched Chandler Jones for a long time, and, um, you know, we know what he's capable of. He he came out to a fast start last year. I think he had, like, what, five or six packs yeah, in the first five. game? Yep. So, yeah, so people are comparing it to that. And, oh, my gosh, you know. So that was pretty <laughs> abnormal. Right. Um, you know, he's, he is, what, 32, mm-hmm. 32 years old? Yep. Um, and you have to account for that. Um, but last year, you know, we didn't see him losing a step or anything like that. I think I think we need to see more. Give him an opportunity. He's new to the defense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's new to Patrick Graham, new to the scheme. So all of that is you've got to give him a little bit of leeway. He's still one of the. He was what number sixty on the top players of top one hundred players on NFL Network, like sixty. Right. Right. That's 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 high. Yeah. That's, that's high. Um, so his and those are voted on by his peers. So. That's how much respect he has in the league, and those guys that go up against him know what he can do, and that's why they voted for him. So I'm not worried about Chandler Jones. I know he's still hungry. I know he's still going to – I think today could be – or Sunday could be a huge opportunity to get after Orion Tannehill. Well, there you go. Uh, we're excited to see it. Of course, it's on the road, but uh, it will be an early kickoff on the West Coast. But, uh, yeah, we're excited to see the game and, and seeing if the Raiders can, can figure things out and start to turn them around. Amber, what do you got coming out? What are you working on these days that we need to be paying attention yeah. to? Besides everything. Oh, God. <laughs> what am I working on? I work, well, you can always catch me on SiriusXM, yep. NFL Radio, and SiriusXM Fantasy Radio for you fantasy nuts. Uh, we do that Mondays and Tuesdays. Um, and I got a couple I got a, I got a couple of documentaries cooking that, okay. that are public yet. So I've been working on those. It's one you'd really like, too. So I'll, I'll tell you about it offline. But once it's public, I'll share it with with Raider Nation. Nice. I like it. I like it a lot. And uh, yeah, now I'm really excited. Now I'm uh, fired up for that as well. And if you, you know, if you need anybody to play a role in any kind of documentary, I, I know a guy. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I know a guy who knows a guy. Oh, and also, you can also catch Westwood One uh, Fantasy Forecast. We do that every Friday. That is with Michael Fabiano, who's fabulous. 
Uh, he's just one of the best in the business, so he'll get you, he and I get you ready for your uh, for, to set your lineups for Sunday. So that's over on Westwood One. No doubt about it. Well, great stuff, Amber. And before we let you go, I did want to thank you for the, the message that you sent me yesterday. It was very it was heartfelt, and I do appreciate it. Of course. My, my thoughts are with you and your family. My heart is with you. Um, I can't imagine what you go through every day, brother, but I'm, I'm thinking about you and, and praying for you. Thank you so much, Amber. Appreciate you. Great stuff. We'll catch up soon. All right. Take care. I'll see you out there. All right. Bye. There she goes. Amber Thea Harris right there, uh, Sirius XM, NFL Radio, Raiders TV, does a fantastic job on Twitter at Amber Theo Harris. And uh, she sent me a message yesterday. Yesterday was uh, my oldest son's birthday. It would have been his 23rd birthday, but uh, he passed away in 2020 due to a car accident. So she sent me just a message saying, hey, thinking about you. And that meant a lot. And I'm, I actually, we were at the OYO yesterday. I meant to dedicate the whole show to him yesterday. And, and for some dumb reason, um, I don't know, imagine that I was talking too much and I didn't uh, I ran out of time before I was able to do that. So uh, that, that meant a lot to me for a colleague just to send that kind of a message. So I definitely appreciate her for that. And I didn't want to have like some, I don't know, uh, inside joke or inside, not joke, but, you know, inside message where nobody knew what we were talking about. So that's what we were talking about when I, I said uh, thank you to Amber. So I definitely appreciate her and appreciate everyone who sent uh, messages to me yesterday as well. And believe me, myself and the family, we uh, we do appreciate it a whole lot. 2.45 is the time. We'll come back. Close out hour number one. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Just got about 10 minutes left in uh, hour number one of the show. We're already going fast and furious. We talked to Jason Reed from ESPN about his book, Rise of the Black Quarterback. We have more copies of that on the way. Just finished up with uh, Amber Thea Harris from SiriusXM, NFL Radio, Raiders TV, talking all things silver and black. And she's not too concerned about the 0-2 start. But at the same time, the Raiders got to get things turned around quick, fast, and in a hurry. How much confidence do you have? That this coaching staff can get this team where they need to be, head to Tennessee, have an early kickoff. You know, there was always a time where those 10 a.m. kickoffs always made me nervous when it came to the Raiders. I never felt like they really got the most out of their abilities in those 10 a.m. kickoffs. But I feel like that they've kind of righted that ship, right? I feel like they've kind of gotten past that. At least with the last regime, I felt pretty confident that, hey, 10 a.m. kickoff, no big deal. Got to see how they, they uh, you know, take, handle this first 10 a.m. kickoff uh, West Coast time and see exactly uh, what kind of product they put out there on the field. But both these teams, you know, and we're going to really deep dive into the Tennessee Titans tomorrow, starting tomorrow, but both these teams are, are hungry, man. They're both 0-2. They know what happens when you're 0-3, right? I mean, they, they know the reality of it. You're 0-3. Most likely, you're not going to be doing what you want to be doing at the end of the season, which is playing in the playoffs, having a trip to the postseason. So they're, they're a desperation mode for both teams. Coming up on Sunday. So how much confidence do you have in this coaching staff to get things turned around? That's a question I'd like to throw out there to you today at 702-365-9200. Also the Salmon Ash text line 69187, keyword R&R. Uh, got a text from Jesse in California, and it's not about the question, uh, but it's uh, his own question. I'm not sure if the question has been asked to Derek or Josh, but something keeps coming up, at least the first two weeks, is Derek's underthrows. Is there something wrong with his arm? Is he not setting his feet correctly? Why so many underthrows? Uh, that's Jesse from California. And, you know, he, he's had he's had a few underthrows. He's had just a few off balls, you know. And I, I honestly believe that they're just getting into a rhythm. You saw them look like they were playing really well uh, last on Sunday in, in the first half, and they just didn't come out of the locker room with the same intensity. I think that that was similar to what Amber said. That was an intensity thing. That was, uh, hey, we got this in the bag. You know, we, we have this. We're up 20 nothing. Kyler Murray ain't doing nothing. That offense ain't clicking. Our defense is playing well. We're just going to go out there and put up 10, 15 points and call it a day. 10 or 14 points, you know, a couple touchdowns, call it a day. 
Yeah, I just want to play this quick clip from uh, Coach Mick Lombardi today because because Coach McDaniel said it could have been some mechanical issues. Right. So all the offensive coordinator had this to say today. Yeah, I think Derek did a good job on Sunday. You know, he got the ball on time. He was he was moving in the pocket. Um, you know, we always had the one sack on the first series, and that really wasn't his issue. That was more of a protection issue. But you know, I think I thought Derek threw the ball well. He got the ball. He got the ball on time. He was active in the pocket. Um, and in terms of just you know every little tiny little critique. Um, I have nothing really to complain about Derek in terms of that sense if I threw the ball great on Sunday. So there you go. Uh, offense coordinator Mick Lombardi talking about Derek and his mechanics. And I honestly don't think it's anything to do with his mechanics. I mean, Derek's been there, done that. You know, he's been doing it for a long time. Uh, we know that he's one of the the more accurate quarterbacks in the league. I mean, he's very accurate. You know, uh, that one that he he got, he threw down the middle of the field against the Chargers, uh, that was, going back to underthrows, I mean, that was one that if he throws it with some touch on it and, and throws it farther, you know, like you said about the underthrows, but if he, he puts some touch on it and puts some air underneath it, that's probably a touchdown, right? But instead he tries to zip it in there and he gets picked, you know, by a linebacker that was a former safety playing the role and, and looked like he was a, a, a former safety the way he, he plucked that ball out of the air, you know, and then of course we know about the Devontae Adams, the deep shot. That was an underthrow. Uh, I think those are just timing and, you know, more repetition, more, more game, game film and, and more game time. I, I, that's what I think. Now, you go out there and you do it for the third week in a row, then it's like, okay, well, how much game time do you need? Right? That'll be the next question. How much more game time do you need before you say, okay, this ain't working? That's going to be the question. Who you got? Who you got? We got Lester in the Bay Area. Lester, welcome to the show. What's on your mind? Q, what's happening? No, I just want to say condolences to, uh, to your family in regards to that uh, unfortunate event that happened a couple years ago to you. Um, condolences. Got to keep Pushing forward. That's all we can do, brother. For sure. Appreciate but, you. But, hey, hey, uh, regarding the game, you know, you know, I've been looking at this team. I think, as of now, I think we've had some miscalculations by the coaching staff and David Ziegler and Josh McDaniels, obviously. I think, you know, for one, was right tackle position all season long. And they went in trusting Parker and they went in trusting Leatherwood. And I think that was a mistake by going as long as they did without addressing that position. And also by not playing the starters in the, in the preseason. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think you got to – get some live action reps of these guys, at least the two or three series out of four preseason games and they didn't play at all. Right. So I think that's showing. Um, and also they just, I'm pretty surprised at the miscalculation by how McDaniels, he's been in this thing a long time, not really as a head coach, but he's been involved in winning football teams with the Patriots mm-hmm. and letting that lead slip away in the second half between him and, and coach Graham. I just, you know, it was very uncharacteristic, very surprising. Right. I mean, especially I think, it comes on the offense on that one. I mean, you got to sustain drives. Right. you got to keep your foot on the pedal and make adjustments. And, you know, the Cardinals made adjustments defensively. We didn't make adjustments on the offense. I mean, everything was just vanilla. And on defense, you would have figured maybe Patrick Graham threw a spy like Diablo or Abrams on Murray the whole fourth quarter, you know, at minimum. Throw a spy on him to follow him everywhere he goes. And so we gotta, we got to hope that they make the right adjustments and get that running game especially going. I mean, we got so many running backs, Q. Right. I mean, we got to use them yeah. in all facets to get the receiver. I mean, look at this. We couldn't even throw Devontae Adams quick screens or Waller quick screen passes right. or, or slants to, to, to you know, move the change yep. five, uh, five or eight yards. So hopefully these guys make improvements and hopefully this team you know, steps it up, man, because they need this win. Like you said, you go on three, we're behind the eight ball big time in the FC. Right. Absolutely. Hey, thank you for the call, my man. I appreciate you. And yeah, that was the point that Amber made that I thought was great. You know, if you run the ball and and you just run five, six seconds off the clock, the game's over. Regardless, like that's not the way you want to win games. But reality is that's what it boiled down to. 
if you just run the ball, say that last play that Hunter Renfro fumbled, if you run that play, that, that means time's going to click off the, 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 the clock and, and you could win right there, right? You could win with the field goal. I mean, there's, there's so many different elements. You could do it in overtime. You could have done it in regular time. I mean, everything, man. There's so much that a play here or a play there, if you had done a little bit differently, the results are totally different, you know? And, and it's just a, a, a small, like I said, just a, a small handoff here. One extra handoff than you, what you had the, you know, in, in the game. It's just there's so many... I guess you can go back and, and hindsight's always going to be twenty twenty and say, well, I could have done this, would have, should have, could have, and just didn't. So it's one of those things that they just got to get over, and now they got to focus their attention on Tennessee. 2.56 is the time. We'll come back, kick off hour number two of the show. We'll talk to John McClain from gallerysports.com and Sports Radio 610. It's Radio Nation Radio 920.